1: Figure Lending LLC DBA Figure Equal Opportunity Lender NMLS 1717824 Terms and conditions apply Visit figure.com for more information For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org
0: You're listening to the Wild 7 Podcast Network Listen different
1: Man, lots of mumblers out today Uh, What did you say? I said... (laughs) That joke was so lame. Uh what did you say? I said this uh, should uh, uh. be in the words of Alex Rogers. Episode 35, oh wow, a whole dollar. You know, whatever, all I have is all of my Christmas presents, but where are all of my non-Christmas presents? Welcome back, my fine-feathered friends. This is Alex Rogers, recording and reporting. From a timeless zone in which your listening is the now. Well, welcome back, my friends. Uh, w- uh, hey, boy, I got a report on a fresh feeling that happened just before I sat down to record. Uh, You know, we live in quite a convenient time period, and if you live in California, my goodness, in terms of cannabis consumption, uh, you really uh, have no problem these days scoring it in any way you can. One of the most relaxed and easy ways to get it nowadays is you can have it delivered to your house. Take that, war on drugs. What do you mean? Uh, Well, you see, Richard Nixon, now I can get weed delivered to my house. I will not allow you to have weed, marijuana, reefer, and or grass delivered to your home. Not while I live. But you're dead with all due respect, Mr. Ex-President. Oh, then I'm late for the afterlife. But, uh, yes, it's a good thing now. We now get to have... Um, weed delivered to the crib, but not for you, baby, not for you, just for Papa right here. By the way, Papa's got a brand new bag. I, I know that could be anything. It could be money. It could be, uh, it, it couldn't, it, it could be anything else, but I always thought it was like a brand new bag of weed. Um, you know, why not? Well, uh, my delivery driver, he he threw a little shade my way at the end. And it's, uh, let me me break down what happened. I'm going to try to keep this as fair as I can. Um, uh, Look, I try to tip any and all people who are in the service industry, be they at the establishment that I go to, or if they come to me from their establishment, I make sure that the person who serves me gets tipped. And I try to do it, pretty fairly. And I used to be a man who worked in not only a dispensary, but I did the weed delivery gig for a short bit. I would drive around, my gas would not be compensated, (laughs) and I relied on some tips. And sometimes people, be it at the shop or when I was on the road, they didn't tip. Not one damn bit. And sometimes it'd be really insulting. And, you know, this is all through cash, too. So you'd say, well, that will be $250 worth of product. And they got Benjamins and Grants all in their uh, pocketses. And then you would think, well, surely you have at least a buck to pass my way. And, you know, I think I think it's fair to get a buck. We all wish we could get more. But if you can get even one buck, that's good. Well, I always like to give about five bucks to a delivery driver because again I know the struggle I've, I've been there but today I was caught a little short because long story short when I was paying my delivery driver I I realized I only had some big bills and the guy wasn't in his vehicle. He was right at my house, I appreciate that, but he didn't seem to have any money on him. So when I said, hey, can you break down a, a big bill? He was like, um, I don't know, and he kind of looked over his shoulder at the car, and I felt a little embarrassed about it because I usually have tip money ready to go. So I, I the only real kind of free bill that I had on me to pass to him as a tip was, I dare say, a dollar. And he takes it, and he looks at me, and he goes, Oh, wow, a whole dollar. Oh, come on now, laddie. You notice I'm not really pissed off. I'm almost more amused. And look, hey, delivery driver, if you're listening to me right now, I don't know how you would be, but let's say you are. Hey, I'm sorry I didn't have more for you. I'm sorry I didn't have uh, a Lincoln. I'm sorry I didn't have a Kid Abraham to give you. Uh, I'm sorry. I didn't have a Hamilton to slip your way. Uh, You know, if I could, I would give you a whole Jackson and call it a day, but I'm not that guy yet. All I had was a Washington, a single, simple Washington. What about me? Well, you see, Mr. Jefferson, you put yourself on the $2 bill. And probably back then y'all thought that was something really important. Today, it's kind of like a eyebrow rising moment for three seconds oh you got a two dollar bill kind of moment but yes uh yeah if i'd give him a two dollar bill at least it would have gotten a probably a more surprised reaction but listen mr 22 year old bless your heart but that's not a beard that's a peach fuzz and keep at it Uh, uh, you're probably half stoned and who knows when's the last time you properly hydrated and who knows how much you gotta be on the road kid Uh, that was unnecessary I think to say oh wow a whole dollar like that too And, and you know I'm sorry I couldn't give you more but a buck is a buck is a buck and I don't think it's cool to bite let alone nibble the finger that feeds you unless of course we have that kind of relationship but we don't have that kind of relationship yet so you can't be nibbling on my fingers (sighs) well I'll tell you all what I really did want to talk about today there's there's been some really good cinema absorption of late and um I uh what have I done? Okay, so there's there's some good titles that uh, I got into. Let's let's lay them out. First of all, we have from 1950, Night and the City. This is directed by I I want to say uh well probably one is supposed to just say Jules Dassin, but I bet it was Jules Dassin. Who knows? Uh Alex you Redis- just showing off some french that you sort of elementarily understand well yes but i you know i'm also just trying to put it out there that maybe i know a little something or two yeah well well, or or do you think maybe you're also being a little snooty no i think you're being snooty trying to get in and make me feel bad for flexing a little bit of the limited college i even had thank you voice of doubt god damn it you know people it's exhausting sometimes when you, when you sometimes uh, are, are overcompensating for when you see other people being too braggadocious, and then you get into your head and put down your own little things. Look, I I'm, not, I'm not fluent in French. I just know a couple things. Well, anyway, whether the guy's name is Dassin or Dassin, who knows, um, this is the same guy who directed The Naked City. who oh, he likes his city movies. Night and the City and the Naked City. Well, the point is good dark noir. And what's cool about Night and the City is that it has... Oh, so here we go. Last episode, I was talking to you guys about Richard Widmark. Uh, He was in that movie Panic in the Streets. Well, it turns out this is uh, from the same uh, same year that that movie came out. And I bet the reason is, I think kind of... I don't know how it's done nowadays, but I think back then, you know, you were uh, uh, part of, you you had some sort of like contract with a studio, and probably you're putting out about three or four movies a year. So in the same calendar year, there might be three or four movies in which you appear in all of them, and, and sometimes maybe they're even released around the same time. How cool is that? Well, this guy Richard Widmark, I'm kind of amazed I never have seen him before. Because, again, he killed it. In fact, he he was really good in Panic in the Streets. He was excellent in this movie. This movie was very strange. Night and the City. And because I've been watching all these American noir films, I figured it was going to be maybe in, like, New York or Los Angeles. It actually takes place in London. So everyone in East End, London. So everyone's kind of talking like this, and everyone's doing their thing. But you have one American, and that's Richard Widmark. And this kind of reminded me of uh, things like Sorcerer by uh, William Friedkin, and also uh, Only God Forgives, which I talked about a few episodes ago. That Nicholas Winding Refn film. Uh, stories that take place in a country that is probably uh, foreign to the protagonist, but the protagonist must be in this country because he can never go back, or it's certainly suggested as much. And what's great is Richard Widmark plays this just like absolutely desperate slimy, rat-like. just, just He's constantly sweating. He's always running from shit. The the first time we see him, he's running away from a guy who is basically trying to catch him and break him in half because he owes money. He's one of these guys who's always owing money and he always has a big idea on how he can make the money and get into some big scheme and he always wants to wrap up people into it. I think because, really, he's just so desperate for friendship as well. But, um you get the feeling that he must have been so hated in America that they kicked him out, and now he's trying his luck in London, and he's trying to make pounds, and here he is with his full-on, very American, like, I'm trying to make a pound or two here, and so it's really interesting because everybody is a swindler in this movie. Everybody is trying to make a buck, trying to pass one off. You see a whole alleyway where... Uh, different guys in different shifts are putting on different signs uh, to beg in the streets. It's like, oh, it's this is the hour in which we put, um, you know, a crippled war veteran, uh, you know, to get some copper from some people. And then uh, another one will be, oh, uh, unemployed, can't, uh, you know, the government doesn't care about me. And then you get that sympathy card, just different signs for different times. And then, Uh, You also see even the most high-class joints where you have sort of these escort girls, but the lady who's training them is like, remember, girls, you're here to get every last note from all the gentlemen who come in to be entertained by you. If you smoke a Virginian... Oh, no, if he's smoking Virginians and he offers them to you, you say that you want a Turkish. And if he offers you a Turkish, you say you want a Virginian. Keep him spending. So... Everybody is trying to make a pound or two in this, uh, in this film. In fact, maybe my wee delivery driver ought to find himself in that uh, situation and really understand uh, how, how hard it is to make a, um, a, a note or two. But um, yeah, this is... Uh, uh, the guy, though, Richard Widmark, gets it into his head that he can become the fight promoter for wrestling in London. And what's kind of cool about this one is that it's still kind of a let's, I'm going to, we're going to get a match ready. And there, and you know that there's going to be a fight, you know, there's going to be a fight in the ring, brute force versus brute force kind of deal. But when is it going to happen? Well, without giving too much away, I'll just say this much a lot of boxing, or not, it's not boxing, it's wrestling, but let's just say a lot of fighting movies, it's in that kind of last part of the third act that you do get the showdown, which usually is in the ring, and you get the full, like, crowd. Well, what if everything comes to a violent explosion before you even get close to making the big show happen where you think, this is my ticket out, I'll get the full crowd, we'll make a killing, and I'll ride on the uh, sweaty coattails of these wrestlers and make a fat killing. And what if that shit completely falls apart and you are just doomed to be on the bottom of every chain imaginable? It's a desperate movie. It's an interesting movie. And in terms of old movies, it had one of the longest... There's a fight scene, a brutal... Man to man, fists, feet, torsos—just brute force. And I haven't seen a scene this long since John Carpenter's *They Live*. So yeah, that was um, that was a really good one. *Night and the City*, followed by on in the same evening. I did a little double feature. I love a double feature. Aren't they fun? God, I love them, especially if they're time-respecting movies. And you know me, I like my little 90-minute romps. And sure enough, these movies were about 90 minutes each. So the second movie I saw that night is called Fury. Now, this is from earlier. This is 1936. And just like these movies from the 30s, be it The Public Enemy with James Cagney or the original Scarface by Howard Hawks. They are not slow or boring. In fact, the acting is not what we think of as a lot of 30s movies, where everyone has a kind of way of talking. No, dude. Fury was very grounded in some terrific performances. And... I'm beginning to understand that maybe one of the greatest directors who ever lived is Fritz Lang. Now, Fritz Lang, as I understand it, uh, is a German director. He started in Germany. One of his most famous movies is one of the most famous silent films. And it's also probably the godfather of, like, big vision sci-fi in a film medium and that is Metropolis. So he did Metropolis. He also did this one movie called M, Um, and that has Peter Lorre. That's another voice where even if you haven't seen the movies that he's in through the public culture of cinema voices, everyone sort of heard the Peter Lorre voice. Well, he, I believe, is also originally German because this is a German-language movie made in the early 30s. And it's actually straight up about a child molester. Now, they have to say child murderer, and as we know, it often does lead to the murder part. They leave the molestation part out of the, at least out of the verbal equation. But again, like all of these movies from back in the day, these are for adults and they treat their adult audience as such. So you get it. And what's fascinating about the movie M is that the police can't find this guy who's been murdering children, but you know who does find him and rounds him up and they, and they bring him into like a lynch mob situation? It's all the freaks in town. Every cutthroat ne'er-do-well and pickpocket and... every It's like that part in Blazing Saddles. Get me every cutthroat ne'er-do-well pickpocket vagabond. Could, could, could you say that all again from the beginning? Uh, this is... Uh, like, there's this amazing scene where you just see, like, all these, like, characters crawling out of the docks you see one guy with one leg and like his like a like a almost like a long john silver on just like a, a, a peg leg and his uh little um what's a his crutch and you see all of these like just strange characters and they're all on the wrong side of the law, but what they all have in common is they—they they know too. They're like, "Oh, I'm—I'm—I'm I'm, I'm absolutely a nefarious character, but I would never murder a child." So they deal justice on this one guy, and when they—and it's Peter Lorre who plays him—and when they get him, <gasps> dude, he has this whole monologue where he's like, "You don't understand. I am haunted by demons. I must do what I do." It's just what. It's crazy. Well, I didn't mean to make this all about M, but I but it is good to talk about that to actually kind of rev up into the spirit of this movie, Fury. Now, Fury stars my man, Spencer Tracy. And if you remember a couple episodes ago, I was talking to you guys about this really good one, one of my favorites that I've encountered so far, called Bad Day at Black Rock. Now, that would be made almost 20 years later. This is when Spencer Tracy was a younger man in the 30s. And you know you're off to uh, an ominous start to a movie when a man and woman are deeply in love and they're saying cute things to each other like, I thought you hated Peanuts. Well, no, I, I, you love them and anything you love, I love. And you're like, oh no, something's going to happen. Either one of you is going to cheat, one of you is going to murder, or some monkey wrench is going to be thrown into the gears of this lovely romance you all have going on for yourselves. Well, sure enough, uh, it's a situation where... And by the way, uh, mm, what was her name? Oh, I'm so sorry, folks. Here, hold on. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look up the name just because she was really good and she deserves to be uh, named. Sylvia Sidney. There you go. Uh, she's great. She is someone who <clears throat> is absolutely in love with her man and also understands the hard responsibilities that they have ahead of them, which is she has to move out of town because a better job opened up for her. But he's got a really good deal going on in town. So long story short, she has to move out. And for a whole year, they can't see each other. But he does the honest game. He opens up a a gas station with his brothers. He builds up enough, and he finally makes his own stake in life. And then he's finally on his way to go see his girl and be with her for the rest of time. And you know something bad's going to happen, right? Well, turns out there was a kidnapping, uh, going down. Again, they talk about uh, th- this girl was kidnapped. I think, you know, you, you know what else goes with that. So there's this really bad situation going on up there. And for some reason, right as Spencer Tracy is coming into town, uh, on well, or rather going through this one town on his way to the town where his girl's waiting for him, uh, you get a very young Walter Brennan, all right now, stop, stop going where you are right now. I I got my shotgun on you now. You fit the bill of this guy who's been going around kidnapping girls, and, and and we're going to bring you in for questioning. So through sheer awful luck, bad luck, Spencer Tracy is dragged into the police station, and he's grilled about where were you on this night, and what were you doing here and there, and he's absolutely beside himself with fear with well, I mean, not because not he did anything, but the natural fear we have when we're being snatched up for something we didn't do. And it's and you, the viewer, know this as well. They're they're not pulling a fast one. And you, you really do get it. You get that this whole town is has misunderstood him, but here's where the danger comes in. And this is why I kind of mentioned M before. In this you have another situation where the whole town becomes a mob. And it just simply starts with a couple of characters whispering to one another, oh, I, I I, hear that they brought the man in who's been doing this. And of course, no one's saying, well, we don't know if it's really him or not. But what's everyone doing? They're all adding to the story. I I heard he even came in armed. Oh, I heard he's killed this many people. I heard he had this many people. Right. And then everybody in town is talking. Everybody in town is also very comfortably drunk a lot of the time. You know, that's always a good situation. And sure enough, there is a siege scene that for 1936, dude, you got to fucking, it's incredible. They fucking go in, all the townspeople, like, like at the end of Frankenstein, you have torches and pitchforks and everything. They go up to the police station, and we want in, and even the arresting a sheriff. He doesn't like Spencer Tracy, but he's still going to do his job and he's not going to let these people in. There are some amazing cuts in this movie. And you know, something that I've noticed a lot of the time in old movies, they do cross-dissolves to another scene. This one, a lot of good cuts, a lot of good comic timing in the cuts. It's a tense situation movie with some bitingly sinisterly hilarious parts. And... For example, in the mob scene, you have everyone, like, like, hordes of people trying to break into the police station. And the sheriff says, it's all right. The National Guard will be coming any moment. And then it cuts to the National Guard elsewhere, just sort of, like, hanging out, not going anywhere. And one of them says, aren't we supposed to deploy and go out there? No, no, no. We've been told to stand down. And then one of them goes, but... And then it cuts to... These two sort of big wig guys, guys who you can tell are having their brandy and their cigars and they're kind of, you know, the real...
0: I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, but Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past... Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select podcast in the survey and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows.
1: Guys who run the government. So it cuts to them finishing this sentence. So once again, it shows the National Guard. No, they told us to stand down. But cut to why, says one of the... Uh, dinner goers these guys in their tuxes with their brandy and cigars and the other one says it's very simple while we're not going to deploy these national guards it's an election year coming up and these people don't like having a police presence in their town beyond their local law well when when's the last time we heard something like that how many times have we seen some heinous shit going down And uh, how come, you know, uh, on the part of citizens who who are forming lynch mobs and where they could bring in the big guns, so to speak, they don't. We've seen this a lot. This is crazy to watch this. And also, you know what it reminded me of, too? It just reminds me of these awful cultures that clearly have always existed. Gossip culture. I mean, you almost have to admire these people were so fucked without technology. Because there's so no internet in the 30s, you physically went door to door and spread shit when you were in your little gossip corners. Um, But now we do it online. Now we can assassinate your character through social media and still do the same thing that this movie was doing. But we do it in, in an almost more evil way. But this actually does in this movie. It goes to physical violence, and there's a the siege scene is crazy. They burn down the fucking jail. They even throw dynamite into it, and you see Spencer Tracy like fighting for his life, trapped in there. There's also this horrific scene. His fiancee, she finally puts two and two together because she's like, "Well, we're, we're, he's not." He hasn't come into town. He said he was coming. Where is he? And then she hears news that they caught this guy. It fits his bill. She runs in. She goes right up to the police station. She sees her man in the jail. And she sees flames beginning to just cover up everything. And there's these amazing close-ups on her face and on everyone else's face in town. And it's just fucking nuts. Well, The whole place burns down. For a second, you think, God, did they kill Spencer Tracy off mid-movie? Well, turns out he escaped last second out of there, made it out. And now, through the help of his brothers, who he's let them know that he's alive, he gets them to hire a lawyer, and they're going to take these people to court. And so essentially, a dead man, like a ghost, orchestrates one mindfuck of a court experience for very guilty people. I highly recommend it. Having now watched... Well, I, I told you all about Scarlet Street. That was a really good Fritz Lang movie. There was another one that I didn't mention before, but I'll just briefly mention. It was the same uh, cast as well that he used in Scarlet Street. He made it a year before called uh, The Woman in the Window. And then you have this one right here from even earlier called Fury. I got to say, <clears throat> everything I've seen by Fritz Lang is really good. I, uh, to where I'm kind of surprised to never put him in my top category of directors, but he is definitely there now. Fritz Lang, amazing. Fury. Check it out. All right, and then last but not least, I watched one today, which I think, I mean, I, I the, the previous two titles were really good, and I want to say this last one is my favorite. And this one was called Odds Against Tomorrow, 1959. And funny enough, you know how you have um, Spencer Tracy? I talked about how, you know, this is the second time I've noticed him in my deep dive. Well, this is what's so fun about doing all these movies is that they often had recurring actors because, you know, if they did well in one noir, they'll probably be used in another. And Robert Ryan who was the antagonist to Spencer Tracy in Bad Day at Black Rock. In this situation, he's also uh, somewhat the antagonist, actually kind of very much so, in this movie, Odds Against Tomorrow. And who also stars in this movie is Harry Belafonte. Now, my older listeners, I'm sure you know who that is, but any younger people who don't know, I'll just put it this way. I know you've heard this one let me try that again. Dayo, Dayo, daylight, come and me one go. Uh, and you know if if and some people who don't even know his name will just go, oh, Beetlejuice, 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 uh, what? Wow nice fucking model honk honk that's my favorite line in beetlejuice but hold on i can't talk about beetlejuice we have to we have to stay on on target here so harry belafonte i don't think i knew that he did some acting in his time i I knew that he was not only an amazing singer but also he was deeply involved in civil rights you'll do you'll find some amazing round table discussions uh, when he was on TV, where I think he's sitting there with people like Malcolm X and uh, James Baldwin, even Marlon Brando. I've seen them all like back in the day, in, in, around this time period, in sort of like the 50s into the 60s. Um, so how cool, he was an actor too! Now this one was really interesting. And I'm just going to put it this way, it's a heist movie. Now some heist movies start with the heist. And it goes wrong, and then we're dealing with the crisis that came from the heist gone wrong for the rest of the movie. Real easy example, Reservoir Dogs. Um, Or maybe even uh, Kansas City Confidential. Uh, Of course, that one, maybe that's a little more like mid-movie, the heist. Well, here is where the heist is going to be happening to the end. Uh, Happening at the end, rather. But what's interesting is we're earning the reasons ...for why these guys are going to do it. And you see that life is not working out for them. And they both are having different situations. Now, Robert Ryan is... It's kind of suggested that he's a World War II vet who definitely feels like his country let him down, didn't give a fuck about him. It's the veteran's story. He put his life on the line for his country, and he's come back and lived in an America ever since then that doesn't resemble the America he left, and more and more you see younger generations of punks who aren't respecting their elders and all that jazz. He's also, by the way, a racist, hardcore, and I ain't even like uh, speculating on this. The character that Robert Ryan plays in the first few scenes is dropping uh, terms that I dare not repeat here, referring to black people. Now, here's re- something really interesting. Like the the heist proposition is brought up in the beginning of the movie, because you know how it is. Usually, you have a guy who actually looks like just sort of like a nice uncle or grandpa type who likes to play chess in his apartment and has a pet and is wearing his sweater, but he's got a big deal. And what would you think about $50,000 and you'll take a big cut of it and, and, and I got it all figured out. I just need the muscle and, and the talent to help me out here. Well, Robert Ryan goes up the elevator to meet this gentleman. In the elevator is an elevator operator and this gentleman is black. And Robert Ryan doesn't say shit to him. The guy says, what floor? And he just goes, six. Not nice. Doesn't say shit to him. Won't acknowledge him. The guy's trying to make some friendly small talk. Won't say anything. He goes up. He gets the proposition. He thinks about it. He leaves. In walks Harry Belafonte. Now, Harry Belafonte is speaking to this elevator operator as an equal. And they're actually joking around together. And and it's kind of eerie, too. By the way, there's this wonderful sound throughout the movie that's just haunting. There's this wind sound, like this howling gust and gales sound. And it's often happening when they're going up this elevator to the top of this apartment building, where I guess it's just kind of the idea that the higher you go up, these sort of harsh... Getting into fall and winter times, New York winds are happening. And so there's a a joke going on between Harry Belafonte and this uh, uh, elevator operator where it's like, oh my, you hear that wind? Yeah, are we even going to make it all the way to the top? And then they laugh together and they, well, I'll see you when you come back down, sir. No, 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 I'm going to take the stairs. Forget the elevator. Ha ha, you know, and you just see the difference of what's going on here. Harry is relating to the guy. Robert Ryan wasn't. There's also literal scenes where Robert Ryan is just being outright fucking racist to Harry Belafonte, and Belafonte ain't gonna fucking take that shit from him, and fires right back. And yet they have to work together, very uneasily. So, it had a phenomenal soundtrack. Um, what's the gentleman's name who uh, scored it? Uh, give me one second. Here. Ah, uh, yeah, John Lewis. Um, you know, it's funny. The, the stereotype of noir films is that they have jazz soundtracks. Well, I wish that was the case more often because I have noticed they don't really often actually have jazz soundtracks. They tend to have more like a kind of classic Hollywood, that you know, the things that have too many instruments. But this had a slick, smooth uh, like xylophone driven uh, real easy cool jazz feel um, real slick and also tense too there were like really good scenes where no dialogue was happening and you just have this sort of cooking sound with the jazz shit's going down we're planning it out you know there's going to be an explosion somewhere down the line I, I, I highly enjoyed it, and I gotta say, it was refreshing to see something that was in black and white from 1959, and most of the movie revolves around racial tension, and how a guy who feels rejected by his country for the deeds that he thought were good in wartime, and another guy who never has felt like he's even a member of his own country. There's a scene where Harry Belafonte says to his, uh, he has also like, he's a a somewhat family man. He has an estranged wife who he kind of wishes he could be back together with. He has a lovely daughter. And he even says to her, it's like, this isn't our world. It's their world and it always will be. So I have to take a big chance here. So it it's it's yeah, just a, one of those movies where you really like you it's earned. These guys aren't just arbitrarily going through a bank heist. They can't fit in. So they must do this. So good, man. I'm I love these old movies and I'm kind of feeling delighted that I got into them only now. What a wonderful new discovery. And uh I can't wait to keep going down them because there's so many of them too. It's so exciting. You can't really scratch the surface of this. They're as, I, I want to say that, you know, they, they're, they're as recurrent as horror genre or, or kung fu films. Anything that just has a lot of output. I dig it, man. And, and you know, I, I think I figured it out. If it's an older movie, it needs to be one of these things because they at least were daring to be a little cynical and kind of show how, yeah, there's a dark, uh, dark price for every dark act. And um, I think that's cool to watch in older lenses. So that's that for now, my friends. Please stay safe out there. Let's be grateful. If you get only $1 this week, hey... That one dollar has a chance to grow. Just keep on going. And and let's have let's be a little thankful. And let's also have a little faith that those who aren't wowing our day, someone else will. It'll all work out. In the mean, in between, thank you for your time. Thank you for your rhyme.